When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to Football Social Daily. This would usually be your Sunday Premier League review show, but there is no Premier League action to review, but we're not going to leave you without your daily fix. You still need a podcast in your ear, so that's why we're still here in the studio grafting to bring you the content that you are thoroughly deserve, of course. England have been in action. They lost against the Czech Republic on Friday night. They're also playing Bulgaria on Monday evening, so we'll be talking about those two games. And this whole notion that England have gone backwards under Gareth Southgate, what an absolute load of nonsense that is. My name's Niall McCorn, and joining me in the studio, we've got Johnny Sharples. Hello, Johnny. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I feel like this is a sort of podcast where we can talk about anything. Anything goes. <laughs> oh, mate, it sounds like a loving already. <laughs> uh, Alex Hilton's over there. Hello, Alex. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm not bad, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. You've been um, all around the place today, have you not? Luton, know, Leicester. Yeah. I've been doing the, the glamour tour. Uh, Luton, Leicester, Manchester, the big three. It's been uh, it's been wild. No, I went to a, um, a wedding uh, yesterday uh, in Luton. How was it? Uh, yeah, it was good, man. Proper... Uh, Good family function. Everything was sweet. It was nice. Uh, it was a spread on. Mini sausage rolls, uh, cheese and pineapple sticks, cold pizza. Ah, oh, the works. Great. Where, you, where are you standing with the cheese and pineapple sticks? Uh, on a pizza, morally wrong. Uh, on a spread, horrible, but I am a slave for nostalgia. I think you so, need a mini pickled onion on there to complete the set. Uh, there was a Wait, pick- what? There was a- Since when's this been happening? Pickled onion, pineapple and a bit of cheese. Is that a very just a very northern thing? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was on offer on the spread, but I'm not a massive pickled onion fan. That's oh, the hot take. Not for even the, the show. Not even Monster Month. Not no. Never. Wow. Never has a Monster Month. You can tell my it's lips. International Week, can't yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> Scraping the barrel five, three minutes into the show. Minutes. But um, we're going to talk about England. Gareth Southgate said that he'll be picking players on form. And he's done that to an extent. You see the likes of Tammy Abraham and Tamori in the squad from Chelsea. But at the same time, he's also going with the sort of chosen few, for want of a better term, like starting Danny Rose, who's not exactly had a, a great season so far. So this whole Southgate bashing has begun. Someone called Gareth Southgate a fraud five minutes before kickoff and then 
uh, quote tweeted themselves after full time as if they had predicted the uh, the impossible. But but what's your take on this whole England squad situation? I think we've got a cause to be excited and, and not too disappointed. Yeah, definitely. There's so many young players to get excited. In. What what has been awesome and um, credit to Frank Lampard as well at Chelsea, who's really committed to Mason Mount and Tamori and Tammy Abraham, and they're just getting loads of football. And uh, Tammy Abraham, especially, I've not felt. Um, I mean, this is such an England media thing to do, isn't it? To to overhype a young player who's had a good three months in the Premier League. But he's, he looks he's, the way he's slotted into Premier League football and banging goals in every single week. He looks awesome. Exactly the sort of player that should be getting a call up. A player that's red hot in form. It's exciting to watch. It didn't really happen for him, um, you know, and that's 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 fine because he shouldn't at that young age be carrying the team. But he, he's one of a handful of players that we can get really excited about. And there's players like Raheem Sterling as well, who I've said this every single season. Raheem Sterling is still not at his peak, and yet he is a world-class elite player that has got probably two, three more tournaments in him minimum in an England shirt. He's going to get better and better and better. And players like that, that are senior in the squad, are only 24 years old. This is a scene that we can definitely get excited about. Dad excited about Sterling, Sancho, Kane as a forward three. But if you if you talk in form, Harry Kane probably isn't in the greatest form, Johnny, but he's the captain. You can't really drop him for Tammy Abraham. That's the one that I understand. But what I don't understand is continually Southgate picking the likes of Rose and Henderson and Rice as a partnership, which I'm not convinced works. I'm not sure you are either, actually. We are talking about it before. No, I think they do too much similar to each other, really. I think they're both there to do the same job and possibly get in each other's way a bit or leave one thing to the other when they should be doing it. Whereas you've got Harry Winks, who's not exactly a, a, a going to set the world on fire, but he offers that something a bit different that, you know, I think maybe in hindsight, we saw it with Michael Carrick. He's not up to that standard yet, but we look back at Michael Carrick, look at the number of caps he got, look at the players he was up against and say, why didn't he get more caps? He was exactly what England needed. He could dictate the tempo of the play. Mm. He could break things up. He could pass it well, move things forward, move things sideways, knew when to pass forward, when to pass sideways, when to pass back. Harry Winks is a sort of similar player Again, not at that level yet, but he should be there with either Henderson or Rice. You don't need both of them. You need one to do something a bit different, one to break up the play, one to pass it off to Winks, and he can play the simple pass to someone like Mount, someone like Madison, you know, or on to, you know, Sancho and Sterling and like those players. So I think maybe he's been a bit too cautious. He dropped the five at the back. Uh, or the three at the back, whichever way you want to look at it, moved to 4-3-3, three, three. maybe still being a bit too cautious and wants two of those to be holding players. Now he's not got the three centre-backs. I just don't know. Yeah, people talking about England conceding too many goals, which is obviously a concern when you concede three to a team like Kosovo. You're thinking, right, OK, you shouldn't really be conceding three goals. England go and lose to the Czech Republic 2-1 on, on Friday night. Centre-back, that's the one area which I'm looking at. Uh, centre-back and between the sticks for me, what the two areas, defence in general, where I'm thinking of England and I'm going, oh, actually, the strength and depth isn't really there. I don't think Michael Keane's particularly good. And that's, don't want to sound too harsh, but I just don't. Um, Tamori, he's not played for England before. Uh, a lot of pressure on him. Still a young player, still learning. Maguire's form seems to have not dropped off a cliff, but certainly since moving to Manchester United hasn't been, you know, the the superstar signing that everyone thought he might be at this moment in time. So, I mean, who, who do England have? Stones is injured, always. Rob Holding, always <laughs> injured. I mean, what? what? Jamal Lascelles. <laughs> there's a few. There's like Lewis Dunk, obviously, got a one cap and has, has sort of disappeared. But he, I think he's been playing all right for Brighton, adapted to a new system, things like that. Um, 
whether you want to take a risk on some of Sheffield United's centre-backs, they're playing all right and they play a bit different. But then you are looking at a, quite a big drop-off of, of what we used to. You look 15 years ago and you had, you know, Sol Campbell, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry, yeah. Jamie Carragher, you know, Jonathan, Jonathan Woodgate, yeah. Ledley King, even Wes Brown. And, and any one of those, you know, six, seven names that I've just mentioned will probably walk in and, and do a do a better job even at the age they're at now than, than Michael Keane seems to be doing in England shirt. <laughs> Scathing from Johnny. But that's the thing. <laughs> Michael Keane's not in good form. Everton aren't good form. You've got Pickford, who's <laughs> between the sticks. I come, every time I'm on this podcast, I insult Everton or Marco Silva. And I, I apologise to any Everton fans listening. But Michael Keane's not in the best form. Everton aren't in the best form. Pickford's not in the best form. And they're taking that poor I'm, form to England with them. I'm going to Goodison Park next week for Everton versus West Ham. It's a good job so I'll, I'll make sure that I stay out of anyone's way who says, do you know Johnny will give him a give him a <laughs> slap around the ear for us. I just love how you've compared 39-year-old Ledley King, who has no knees, to, my, to Michael Keane, regular Premier League starter, saying that Ledley King would walk straight back in the team. He was. He might have some though. difficulty walking back into the team <laughs> yeah. with his knees, but he'd, he'd get yeah. there eventually. He might crawl back in the team. What's your take on it, Alex? I think... Um... One of the things that Southgate really needs to be commended for is that he, he commit he's committed to a squad, and I think this is something that England needs to do a lot more. Um, it's what Spain and Germany and the sort of more successful European sides. The managers seem to go right. This will be my squad for the tournament in two years' time, and they make that decision. And I think there's a few. The consequence of that is players that get picked on form eighteen months ago, such as Michael Keane then sort of, like, you're in the squad now. Like, I've, this is my team. I'm not going to change it. And Southgate, bar a couple of injuries, and like he's made. A, what seems like a quite firm decision on Kyle Walker um, and based on his performance at the Etihad against uh, Wolves, I think he's proven Southgate right, is that players like Michael Keane, who were picked on form 18 months ago, are now... Not in form. Not in form and maybe isn't the player that we thought he might have been. Danny Rose equivalently. Yeah, and but because Southgate is committing to, look, 21 of these 23 will be at the Euros in, in, you know, in two years' time. Um, now we're almost at the Euros. He doesn't want to drop these players, and, I, I, and there's merit to that. That's how you build the camaraderie. How many times have we have we take England? It's gone to a World Cup or a Euros, and they've had all these players second through qualifying, and they drop all of them just three months before the tournament. Yeah, and they go and pick, and there's like you know Walcott going to. I think that's a really you know. good point you make, and this is why I said at the start of the show I want to sort of defend Southgate here because I totally understand that we need to be picking players that are in form. But then there's the argument that you've made, which is, well, Southgate wants to build a strong, solid team for the next tournament, which is the Euros in 2020, which will be played in lots of different venues. So you could really, it'll be played, uh, there'll be play, games played at Wembley, there'll be games played in Paris, it's played all over the place. So, you know, there's a sort of a different facet to the competition there. I guess the argument is you only get international breaks few and far between, Johnny. So therefore his ability to work with players in the system he wants them to play in for England is is very limited. He hasn't got loads of time. Not like, for instance, if you wanted to change Michael Keane into a, a ball-playing centre-half that plays in a five at the back or whatever, or three in the back, uh, you know, would you be able to change that? Would you be able to fit him into that system um, over the period of two international breaks before the start of a tournament? Probably not. Whereas if he gets these players in now and starts teaching them how he wants them to play for England now, there's more of a chance of them performing a bit later down the line. Because, let's face it, England haven't lost a qualifier for 10 years until losing on Friday. So you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. No, and if you did want to get rid of Southgate, there's no one really around to, to replace him. 
I think some of the decisions that he's got to make are a lot easier than others. We touched on Kyle Walker sort of dropping off, but that's an easy decision for him to make because you've got, you know, Aaron Wambasaka. He's obviously a good young right back. He's obviously out at the moment. Yeah. Kieran Trippier moved to Atletico and by Done all well. accounts started off very well. He didn't yeah. play that well against the Czech Republic. And, you know, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's probably one of the very best fullbacks in the world now. Um, and so it's, I still, think, it's still about 15 or ridiculously yeah. young. So I think the, to, the decision to drop Kyle Walker is a very easy one because you've got the players there behind him that can more than easily step up. Other places, Michael Keane, you know, we've already touched on the lack of centre-backs. Left-back with Danny Rose. You've got Ben Chilwell, who would obviously be the better option of the two based on current form. But then, who have you really got behind behind that? I'm not, I'm not sure, really. So... It, some decisions are easy for him, some aren't, and you've sort of you've got to accept that. Um, but it is hard for him, you know, to try and to try and embed embed a new system in a lot of these players that will play completely different formations, completely different ways week on week with their actual managers. Um, and you can't sort of force them to replicate that for what Southgate wants. But I think for yeah. the moment, Southgate's the best option that we've got. He's worked with a lot of these players that he wants to pull through for the next foreseeable few years. I think we touched on it out before we started recording, that the Swansea manager whose name escapes me, who worked with, I think, that won the World Cup with the under-17s, I think he's already being sort of, you know... Um, Steve Cooper. Steve Cooper, that's the one. He's already being sort of moulded, maybe, as the next England manager or the next next England manager for the one to pull these through, the, the likes of Phil Foden um, and people like that that have, that have worked with him before. I've played that similar style of football and that's to look to the future. But that's still like five you know, seven years away, like two more tournaments before we can really talk of that sort of change of manager. I, re- I really like the culture the FA seems to be getting of, of bringing someone who's worked with the players before and bringing through this group. I think that's really good. And I, I, I want to see how far they'll go. Like They'll go for the under-17s manager. Presumably after that, the guy who works with the England schoolboys. And then beyond that, they'll go like, let's get Tammy Abraham's PE yeah. teacher. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but much like what people say about Lampard is that he's forced to play the youngsters because of the transfer ban and whatever, which I, I don't 100% side with, but I can see where people are coming from when they say that by the same accord Gareth Southgate got the England job on a technicality to use a famous quote from someone because Sam Allardyce got caught out by the press um, doing underhanded business or whatever it was and all of a sudden England didn't have a manager Southgate had done a reasonable job with the under 21 so he said here you are Gaz take control of this for a bit and he did a good job and he got given the job it wasn't like Southgate was handcrafted and handpicked to be the next England manager England were going to run with Sam Allardyce. Yeah, but also... For the, for the World Cup. But this is also... Sam Allardyce was going to be England's manager. This and is... now look at the media and football <laughs> Twitter reception of Sam Allardyce. What's the perception of him? It's crazy. And he was the England manager. Madness. 100% win record, though, so you've got to give him some credit. A last-minute winner against... <laughs> but this Slovakia. is the significant yeah. Southgate, because you're, you're absolutely right, is that Southgate and his achievement, which I don't think is, is celebrated enough, uh, yes, we got to semi-finals of the World Cup and with a, you know a little bit of a hope and a prayer in there as well as some good performances. Um, but he, most importantly, has changed the attitude of British football. And I think, um, well, English football, I think that, that, that's an amazing thing to have done in such a little time. The way the media react to the team uh, and the atmosphere going into the World Cup was astonishing. Players actually looked like they enjoyed playing at a World Cup, which, mm. you, but you know, compared to the like nerve-wracked sides of Sven Goran Eriksson and Capello that just seemed terrified, <laughs> they were going to be the one on the back page of the Sun, you know, yeah. branded a traitor because they made whatever terrible mistake. And, and players looked like 
They look, they were desperate to get back playing for their clubs. You know, we've gone from that. We're actually, they seem to enjoy playing each other. It seems yeah. like a wonderful atmosphere. And Southgate gets it. He gets that players because he's been that player on the back page of the Sun. Yeah, and he missing knows penalties that fear. And, what, yeah, of course, and he yeah. knows what um, what it feels like to be in their spot. And it, you sort of feel like certain younger players, it, not to put stereotypes on certain individuals, but there must be players in the squad. For example, take Raheem Sterling and everything that he went through at the Euros. Do you think one-on-one Raheem Sterling and Sam Allardyce are going to get on? Whereas Southgate seems a little bit more in tune to younger players in the dressing room. He was playing late enough that I'm sure he experienced as a player the sort of change in attitudes and the, you know, the, the social media and that kind of thing and players that are coming into dressing room with headphones and mobile phones that perhaps like is very new to Big Sam and those sort of things. And I feel like it's much more player-focused. It's much more development-focused. And the younger players that are breaking through under Southgate, there's much more positivity around, you know, Mason Mount and Alexander-Arnold yeah. and these young players. There's much more positivity. You compare it to the younger players that came through under the previous establishment, for example, Marcus Rashford, who is at United, and what is going on at United is out of England's control, but they're having a terrible time. And the atmosphere there is not one that is conducive to developing elite players. It is one that's conducive to developing frustrated players that are going to end up playing mid-table football in five or six years if they're not careful. And the, the difference in Southgate's developed young players and Rashford that was fast-tracked on the previous managers and, and yeah. didn't, didn't have that kind of relationship is there to see. And that's exactly why Southgate, for me, is the man for the next sort of five or six years. I'd agree with you because I think, well, you know, I joked about Rooney and Vardy at the start of the show, but I mean, they would still be in the England squad if Absolutely. Southgate was manager. Absolutely. Uh, if if Allardyce was manager. You know, and, and not to, I mean, anything can happen, but England are basically through. Yes, then this is what I wanted to talk about. Massive overreaction. Are England going backwards under Southgate? Absolutely not. First defeat in a qualifier in 10 years. That's that's an obscene record. I mean, that's ridiculous. And football teams lose matches. It happens. Look at what's happened to Manchester City twice this season. You wouldn't have thought that they would have lost a game again after the way they went and beat Watford 8-0. Mm-hmm. You know, they lost to Norwich 3-2 and, you know, beat Watford 8-0. And you're thinking, right, OK, here we go. They ain't yeah. going to lose again this season. And then we get the Wolverhampton Wanderers performance. And, and you know, Manchester City are beaten 2-0 by Wolves. So you see people sometimes react to things that because they don't happen very often. It was like when Anthony Joshua lost his heavyweight titles in boxing to Andy Ruiz. Everyone thought he was going to walk over Andy Ruiz. He didn't. Bad day at the office, got beat, lost his heavyweight titles. The reaction was just massive. Southgate's lost one game against a, a reasonably poor Czech Republic side compared to Czech sides of the past. And yet, it's the first qualifying defeat in 10 years. It was going to happen at some point. But also, would you rather this as a... Um, oh, this, uh, it feels like an, a very in-denial thing to say. Um, one very much out of like, the Liverpool playbook, but... I would. I think it's probably a good thing that we've got. A, we're taking a beating now, and there's no complacency in the team, and we realise that whilst the atmosphere is very, very good, we're not indestructible. Um, Germany have actually, lost a few games in write, recent years. Germany have lost a few games. They didn't have a very good World Cup by all accounts. They didn't have a very good Nations League. I mean, they'll still be a force for the next World Cup. I'm absolutely. sure they'll still be a force absolutely. for the Euros. You need to know that you're not indestructible, and that you've got that. And that, that wake up call happens now, rather than winning every qualifier three nil, and you get to the, the tournament and you play a real side, and we get our, you know we get it handed to us by France, Spain, Germany, whoever it is we come up against. Well, let me just say this: if England had beat the Czech Republic, it would have been just the second time in I think 
30 something qualifying campaigns that England had qualified with three games to spare. They kind of qualify. And it's it, not a disaster. And, and Friday was basically a friendly because it will probably happen on Monday night, assuming another, another you know, disaster doesn't happen. But so actually, you know, as you, as you mentioned, if that had been Allardyce, it would have been, oh, well, let's throw Vardy on for 20 minutes and, you know, go and uh, mix it up a little bit and cause yourself some trouble, Jamie. Whereas actually, it's like having faith in the young players. And <laughs> you don't them, need to encourage Vardy to cause trouble. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like, you know, it, it, it's having faith in those young players and stick to the system and actually play the full 93 minutes. We're not too panicky. You don't, just hoof it up or whatever and try and get it. It's like we play to a system and that's what gets results. That's what the best teams do, you know? Yeah. To, get, to get try and get a positive out of the negative of the defeat, maybe it will be good for Southgate to see how some of these players react to that defeat and whether they do want to sort of challenge themselves to come back with a win or whether they're just going to be complacent. I know Danny Rose is suspended for Monday night's match, mm-hmm. so he can't really kick on and kick back. But when he's back at Tottenham, maybe that will spur him on. And maybe if it doesn't, hopefully Southgate won't pick him. There'll be another another option at left back for, to back up Chilwell. Yeah. And if he does and comes back into form, then good on him. Southgate can pick him again. Hopefully he will you know, pick someone on form and hopefully Danny Rose will get back to form because he is yeah. a decent player. Of course he is. Well, OK, then who, who does Southgate go for against Bulgaria? I mean, where would you make the changes? Would you sacrifice that midfield of Rice and Henderson and maybe put someone different in there? If it, if I was Southgate, um, I'd probably put Alexander-Arnold back in at, at right-back. Chilwell, mm-hmm. obviously, going to be back in at left-back considering Rose is, is suspended. Drop Michael Keane. Um, probably, Tomori? Tomori or Mings. Um, Mings has had a decent decent year, uh, season. Decent year as a yeah, whole, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so either one of those two, I'd, I'd give a risk to. I'd keep the keep the back four as it is um, in terms of the formation. Winks for one of Henderson or Rice, and then probably keep the rest of the team as it was. Mm. You know, Mason Mount have another another match to try and sort of impress, and then the front three uh, really pick themselves. And I don't think there's any change needed there. Maybe if you want to give Kane a rest, um, put Tammy Abraham in from the start. Um, but apart from that. All, all seems rosy um, in terms of the front three. Yeah, I mean, off the pitch, England, of course, playing Bulgaria on Monday night. There's been sort of a PR war, Alex, between the FA and the Bulgarian FA over racism. And we've seen racist abuse emerge in football again over the last... Well, it's never gone away, so I don't want to say emerge again as if it's never happened. It's, it's never really gone away. But certainly we've seen it brought to the surface a lot more in the last season and a half, really. Yeah. Um, and it's happened in international football more than in domestic football, you'd argue. England said if their players are racially abused against Bulgaria, they will walk off. Yes. If that happens in Sofia and England's players are targeted with racial abuse and they walk off, what sort of a message would that send to European football slash world football? Because for me, I think that would be... That'd be huge. It would be uh, it would be uh, seismic. I think in sport all over the world. Um, I think it would be a huge statement for England because um, our support. I'm a big defender of England fans as well, particularly the home and away fans. And I, I just I, want to say some of the scenes that we saw in Prague. I have some very close friends that were sending me photos of the bar they were in in Prague, miles away from the main square where the majority of England fans were congregated, and a load of Czech sort of ultras in inverted commas with uh, balaclavas and uh, all sorts of whatever they had to smash windows in. They Basically, they stormed the bar, smashed windows in, put tables over, and it was genuinely just a few England fans, maybe 10, 15 of them in this bar, having a laugh, drinking beers, which is what you do when you go abroad, let alone when you go for a football match. And it was very much uncalled for. 
But the a friend of mine who was in the bar said that the press and the media and the TV were there within like 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Almost like they knew it was going to happen. Like a bat signal going up over Gotham. Yeah, exactly. They were tipped off almost. So yeah, defending England fans, I would agree. In this instance, from what I know... I would agree. Well, what I would say as well is that um, I know a few people who go go away with England and uh, there's a few things that have in common. Number one is they're all nuts uh, in the nicest possible way. They're people that are, are so passionate about their, their country and their team. Sure. Um, but actually, you know, they, they commit their lives to... And they are committing their lives. The, yeah. the, the expense and time and effort and you know number of days off work it takes to go to all these wonderful places, mm. Azerbaijan and Estonia, stuff like that. And they're generally um, masters of... Uh, international travel and airports and obscure Eastern European countries. And they understand how to behave around the locals and how to represent uh, England abroad, which is why these incidents never happen at San Marino away. They never, ever happen in Andorra. They never happen no. in Malta. It's but Prague when, away, when it's, Amsterdam yeah. or Prague <laughs> comes out and you suddenly get loads of stag dudes that have yes. never been England away and they think that England is... Uh, it's drinking 20 pints and saying something horrendous in a bar to, to one of the locals. You know, I, I, I wasn't there in Prague. You weren't there. You know, I, I don't know what happened. But these sorts of things, they do tar English reputation. And, and the things that happened with England fans in the 70s, 80s and 90s uh, and fans of club football as well. I think England should be leading the way in fighting racism in football, particularly the way that um, certain players, you know, Raheem Sterling has talked about it an awful lot mm-hmm. and uh, Danny Rose has talked about it a lot as well as other players in the team. Um, it, it is for us to protect those players. And we go to places in Eastern Europe where uh, the, the politics isn't as progressive as it is here in the well, West. Well, not even Eastern Europe. You see the Italians and their reaction to, you know, the racist abuse of Romelu Lukaku <sighs> saying, you know, justifying it, saying, that oh, it's different over here. Almost, you know, almost as if... You know that they can get away with it. It's an excuse. Ah, oh, we do things differently. Here. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's not on. But what would be amazing would be UEFA's reaction to it. So, so imagine we walk off on Monday night. England walk off half an hour in. You know the signal goes up and we walk off. Would uh, would UEFA enforce the three 0 defeat? And so, well, you walked off, you abandoned the game. It would make, because then UEFA would be almost rewarding Bulgarian fans. Would they arrange for the match to be replayed? Uh, you know, and, it, and how long does the referee leave it before? Come on, lads, get back out there. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, it's reminiscent of Cameroon at the um, at the Women's World Cup. You know, walking off, there was a real aspect of like, whoa, what's going to happen? The here? panic stations yeah. at FIFA must have been. How do we how do we play this? You know, I think similar things have happened in France uh, over the course of the start of the season in terms of homophobic chanting and homophobic banners and the ref I think it's the referee has stopped the match in those wow. scenarios and told them to take the banners down told them to stop the match um so hopefully they'll see that as a precedent um UEFA um albeit on a, a smaller scale in terms of league football but hopefully they'll see that that something does need to be done and if the officials can get involved as well if Southgate or one of the England players can go and talk to the officials and say we're walking off because of this you can hear it as well you're on the same pitch as us you can see with the, you know these fans are chanting these fans are you know abusing our players do something about it or we'll walk off and if they don't do anything about it the referee can stop the match yeah. and say you sort it out mm. tell the tell the officials if it does happen tell the bulgarian fa whoever's there representing their national team put it over the loudspeaker tell them to stop or we're cancelling this match and hopefully something will be done it, hopefully it won't go as far as that we all we all hope england don't have to walk off yeah i agree um but if it does come to that hopefully you know common sense will prevail and the referees in the first instance will have to do something and it doesn't have to escalate as far as UEFA having to make a decision on whether to enforce a a 3-0 penalty or whatever. 
Yeah, and I think the, the Bulgarian FA have actually hit back at England and said, well, you've got issues in your own game with racism. Mm-hmm. So you, why don't you take a look at yourselves before accusing us of possibly being racist? It's almost, and I can understand the Bulgarian FA being defensive on that front because it's almost like England is saying, well, you better not be racist. It's almost as if they're saying like they're expecting it to happen. Which, I mean, which is, it, it, I know it's in, precautionary, but do you know it, how it can be seen as inflammatory towards well, in Bulgaria? England's defence and in Southgate's defence and whoever, certain section of Bulgarian fans aren't allowed in this match on Monday night because their fans have been previously racist, done racist chants. Sure. So whether whether that section that aren't allowed there are the ones that were racist chanting and you've managed to, you know, isolate the ones and, and it's all going to be merry and rosy, I don't know. But they are just taking a precaution because there is a historic, you know, mm. uh, example in very recent history in the last few qualifiers of this happening. So England have to prepare for the, for what's going to happen and they're obviously going to be asked about it by the press because it has happened and they say, what are you going to do if it happens in this match? And they've got to answer the question. I mean, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because, I mean, the Bulgarian FA, I understand why they want to satisfy their own fans and, and defend their own supporters in the same way that it's very important for Bulgarian football that they don't have the image of yeah. uh, as, a, as a racist fan base or whatever. But also at club level in European football, Bulgaria Bulgarian teams have been involved in uh, racist chanting and racist banners uh, on, on the European stage. Their national team has had incidents recently. It's almost like if somebody invited... Imagine having a dinner party and someone said, can I bring a plus one? He's uh, he's just got out of out of prison for, for humping dogs. And you went, I don't, I'm not sure I want this guy to come around my house. He might hump the dog. <laughs> and the guy's like, why are you assuming that just because I've recently been to prison for humping dogs that I want to hump your dog? I get it. I get it's it. like <laughs> Bulgaria have been, uh, in the last 18 months continually called out for it and with various evidence and for the FA to come out and go well why do you assume that we're going to be racist just because we've got a uh, a long and full history of racism that's very unfair of you and it just seems like you know this ah he said she said we said and we all know that England fans have done things in the past but my view on it is we should all stop being racist. I think that's what I would like to see in football. And a very I'd like noble to see, opinion. Well, it actually yeah. happened the last time England played um, against Bulgaria in Sofia in 2011, and the Bulgarian uh, FA was fined €40,000 for racist chanting towards England's black players, uh, monkey chanting, when England last played there. And um, the Bulgarian FA, the head of Bulgarian FA, uh, the president, Borislav Mihalov, has said that anyone who walks off in an England shirt should be punished. What that punishment should be, I don't know. But let's just take what he said about England having to look at issues within their own game first. Do you think we're any closer to to those issues being stamped out? Because I seem to see a lot of reports of Premier League Club X have banned two fans for involvement in racist chanting. Aston Villa fans were condemned for chanting about their own players John McGinn and Marvellous Nakamba in a chant which I think some fans might have thought sounded quite funny without realising the racist implications of what they were singing. The All one, right. sorry, on, the one positive of it is that they're taking action. And I think if any positive can come from these horrendous scenarios of people being very openly racist in stands, you know, before the match, on Twitter, wherever, and they are taking action, they're banning the fans, they're isolating the instance, they're condemning them as clubs, as the FA, of what have you. And they are taking action. And I think as well, people people are, people are starting to realise what is and isn't acceptable. And that chant, like you say, people might not have seen issue with it before, but people are becoming more aware of what is and isn't acceptable. And they are prepared to report it and then take action about it. 
And, you know, I think we're becoming, it might seem as a bigger issue because we're becoming more aware of it and becoming more vocal about, you know, wanting to stamp it out and wanting to take action. And it's obviously a horrific thing. And I'm the whitest man alive. I yeah, get, it's hard for three white dudes in a studio yeah, to sit here and talk about this like, with any sort of conviction. But I'm so, I get sunburnt just looking at the weather forecast sometimes. <laughs> so that, you know, it's not my place to dictate what is and isn't racist and, and what action should be taken. But... I think everybody is coming to learn more about what isn't isn't acceptable. I mean, we saw it um, with, is it Harvey Elliott as well? Yeah, speaking about Harry Kane on a yeah, video. Yeah, and he used this language, and I think that's going to be a wake-up call for a lot of people because it's so ingrained that the language that he used, you know, if you're not aware it's not offensive, you might you, you see that word used on South Park and things like that and Family Guy, and you use these hear these slurs all the time, and people might just think it's acceptable so for the fa to take action it's going to be a wake-up call for a lot of fans and a lot of fans on twitter to find out that these words aren't acceptable and they will be punished for it i think also it's very important to, to look at the differences between say like england problem with racism and bulgaria problem with racism so something i would say is that it, it's like racism isn't exclusive to football People don't go to a football match in this country and then like be racist for ninety minutes and then go home and be like, "It's not the vehicle. shining member of yeah, the community." Yeah, sure, yeah. But, uh, and so those people won't equally won't stop being racist for ninety minutes. Those people exist, and at Premier League football grounds where there's going to be anywhere between twenty to eighty thousand people all gathered, you are very sadly going to get uh, racists within that crowd. That, that racism exists in our society. It does, and those people will will go to football matches, and sometimes they'll group together. I think the issue is is when certain clubs, and this happens very much in Europe, and it happens in uh, certainly in national teams where you know patriotism gets stirred up and what have you, and that lends itself to xenophobia and racism, is that it seems that there's certain clubs within Bulgarian football, and that extends to the national team, where it's part of supporting your team, is that I support this team, we all have these political views, and we all have these social views, and that's where we are. I don't think, and again, as Johnny said, we're three white men, so it isn't for me necessarily to say, but certainly the way I see it, I don't think there's any particular club in the Premier League, and certainly the national team, where that follows through that, that that's what we do we get together we watch this team and we all agree on our racist views that doesn't really happen here which it does appear to happen in various eastern european teams and certainly various russian teams okay let's bring it back to the premier league just quickly then before we take a, a break um the fa before the international break commenced handed manchester city an extension for bernardo silva to appeal against this tweet about benjamin mendy um with him as a child, pictures as a child next to the the, the cartoon caricature of uh, Congitos, which is a, a peanut manufacturer in Spain and, and in Iberia, where Bernardo Silva grew up. Obviously, he's, he's Portuguese. And uh, Benjamin Mendy came out and said he didn't find it racist. Pep Guardiola defended his player. Bernardo didn't really help himself with what he tweeted again afterwards, saying you can't really joke about anything these days. Um, the FA's given an extension. What should Manchester City's reaction to that be as a Manchester City fan yourself Alex what is the plan of attack for want of a better expression for Manchester City because if Bernardo's convicted that's uh, of the offence that's six game ban most likely and that could be really damaging to, to Manchester City at this moment in time you find themselves eight points behind Liverpool at the top yeah, of the Premier League I, table I, I, so I, it, it's 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 a kind of a not a sacrifice but something the club are going to have to weigh up here definitely I mean um it's, on the actual issue itself, I think it, it, it's a hot potato. Um, and as a City fan, 
on the one hand, you know, I want to see Bernardo Silva play a football. I don't want to be banned because he's, he's a wonderful player and one of City's uh, best and most important players certainly this season. He started terrifically. Mm. Um, equally, as much as I don't want Bernardo Silva um, to be a racist, um, it was a very like troubling thing that he did. That said, I think we're, we're to, to try and word this carefully between people of different races and different you know backgrounds and so on you set the rules to your friends and if everyone in that group of friends is comfortable with it and it can laugh along and it, you can celebrate the difference between you and you can make light of them make humour of them that's awesome and Bernardo Silva and Ben Mendy appear to be from very very close friends and obviously <laughs> within them the boundaries of it goes uh, beyond Manchester City they played together at Monaco and cetera, yeah exactly and they're very very close friends and if between them they've agreed that they can play with race in a, in a laughing joking way and no one's offended or upset and that's awesome putting it onto social media where that can be triggering to people that are outside your friendship group is if anything very very stupid and I think that it needs to be made clear that you know you're putting that into people's phones and onto people's lives that, that have very different experiences that Bernardo Silva and Ben Mendy have and I think it's um, the FA is right to treat it very seriously and ultimately I don't think any football fan should think well I want my team to win so I'm going to look past the fact that my player or the player who plays my team has behaves unacceptably. In the same way that uh, you know you shouldn't celebrate your player cheating, you shouldn't celebrate your player, um, you know, getting up to all sorts of naughty things. And I think that I don't want to be the fan. In the same way that some Liverpool fans tried to deny that Suarez was racist w- to Evera. was racist to Evera because they like Luis Suarez. It's very tough as a fan of, if you, if you adore a player and you, you look up to them which and you is, find out they've done something terrible. It's which very is hard what I've noticed on Twitter as well. Manchester City fans have certainly been divided on this incident yeah. because you know he, he wears the blue of Manchester City. So as a fan, you're kind of inclined to stick up for him no matter what. And sometimes yeah. you actually lose sight of the the key point of the issue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's in a it's a, a massive decision for Manchester City, which r- really it shouldn't be. I think they should accept the punishment and accept that Bernardo made a mistake. And as, as Alex says, that's something probably that should be kept within a, a group chat between a group of friends, not published to 650,000 followers on Twitter, who some of whom might be offended with what was uh, posted. Exactly. Once it, once it's like, if you want to send that to your friend, you've got WhatsApp, you've got text messages, you've got email, you've got carrier pigeon, you've got whatever you want to send it directly to your friend. Yes. Once you put it on social media, like Alex said, it's going to be trig- possibly triggering for people that have had to put up with those stereotypes from people that aren't doing it in a friendly way for years beforehand. And so once you share it out and you you happen to follow both, you know, Silver and Mendy, you're going to see it and you might not want to see that. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. it goes for all sorts of different things on social media. If it's for, if it's between two friends, it's fine. Share it. Share, well, I you just, know, if if it's within the boundaries of your friendship and both of you are okay with it, then yeah. then do it privately. <clears throat> don't post it. Don't post it publicly where anyone else can see it and become impacted and affected by it. I'd agree, and this is why it makes it so difficult because Manchester City manager Pep Guardiola has backed Bernardo Silva, Raheem Sterling has backed yeah. Bernardo Silva. Benjamin Mendy has backed Bernardo Silva. So if Manchester City don't appeal, what is sort of a message does that send? It shows that they're, <laughs> I, I think, uh, they've decided that maybe what all of their players and manager have said it was actually wrong. They don't believe themselves. I mean, well, it's one of those... It's so difficult. It's almost like Manchester City have to appeal against the possible sanction. Well, because yeah, of, because of, the, of the, the pathway that the manager and players have taken already. It feels like they have to defend Bernardo Silva in this situation, even though that makes me uncomfortable in a way. 
So I think he should really have, I think have taken the punishment. The, the, the factor here is, does anyone actually believe that Bernardo Silva is a racist? Like, do, does anyone believe that Bernardo Silva thinks that uh, people of ethnic minority should be no, treated differently? No, but I believe, I believe Bernardo made a mistake. He made a mistake, A racer absolutely. and was racist, and so probably should be punished for it. But, but uh, yeah, I don't but know. I don't from know. the club's point sorry. of view, sorry, those people defending him, Raheem Sterling, Ben Mendy, will say, oh, no, no, no Bernardo's not a racist, and this is what he meant. Sure. I think I think they will come out and say that. So they but, have to, they but, kind of have to appeal against it. But yeah, of course, in, in the same way that, it, you know, you know, if uh, any, any of your friends did something and you go, no, no, you don't know him, he's not like that, you've got the wrong end of the stick. And they, of course they're going to come out and defend him. But I'm also sure, well, no, I've never met the guy, but I, I'm, you know, Raheem Sterling might might also agree that he said, no, but I was not a racist and he didn't mean to upset anyone. And he's definitely not the kind of person that certain journalists and, and bloggers were making him out to be. But I'm sure he would also admit that maybe Bernardo should go on a course and should... You know, have a I little. Think, have, I, have, think, have, I was have, shocked yeah. when it came out because it. I was just. I te- immediately texted a friend of mine who sports Manchester City, and I said, "What's Bernardo Silva doing? What is he doing?" I just couldn't believe it. I was shocked because I. I don't say it's out of character. Maybe you know he can joke like that with his friends, but I just com- was completely yeah. stunned that it was even on his profile. I think just, what, I will what reply to that text, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think what Bernardo Silva does need, and, and Alex touched on that as well, is that he needs some sort of education on the matter and say what this is why people have been offended by it and this is why we have taken issue with it and perhaps he perhaps he already knows and, and you know it'll be a waste of time but he still needs to sort of someone needs to sit with him or he needs an explainer to him and say this is why people have an issue with it and I think as well um, Pep Guardiola didn't cover himself in any glory in his defense no. and you would you would have hoped that you know he would be aware of why you know, he's he's old, obviously older than Bernardo Silva. He's played in a lot more different countries than him. He's been around the world. He seems a you know intelligent and well educated man. Um, so perhaps he just needs a, re- a little sort of reminder of, of you know his obligations and and what um, why why people have taken an issue with this matter. Put, yeah. Putting the morals to one side, what I do find astonishing is in the modern age of the media trained footballer, where they all give the same answers and interviews, and they're all told exactly what is the right and it wrong is thing sterile, to say. Isn't it? Like I um. Like I was fortunate enough to interview another Manchester City player uh, and we said, uh, out of all the players you've played with, who do you enjoy going for a beer with the most? And he refused to answer the question he said because he's not allowed to talk about drinking. So we're not allowed oh, yeah. to give the idea that we go and get drunk or we get drinking. And it's like, but you're spotted in restaurants and bars around town. Like it, people know that you occasionally have like a glass of wine or whatever. Oh, yeah. and, like, and then it's like, and his agent stepped in and was like, no, we just don't talk about that. Can you rephrase the question? So it became like, if you're going for a coffee and then it was, well, should we say that? Because it might suggest that I'm addicted to coffee. It was like, <laughs> that was the, how the interview went. And like the footballers are given so much coaching on what they can and can't say. I find it like baffling that it didn't enter Bernardo Silva's head at all. He's not, not, not in between, like, well. like, like seeing it and thinking, like, here's the joke I'm going to make, and then thinking, yeah. that's something I'm going to say. Like, in the age of, you know, that we live in where everything does have to be politically correct, everything is right. The fact that, like, it, wh- whether he's racist or, or not, like, he's definitely an idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, oh, I, for sure. like, what even made you think that it's was It's naive. Good that's oh. one thing I've said from the beginning in this situation. It's extremely And then naive. some. And then some. Like, yeah, just, yeah. you know... What are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we'll have to wait and see what happens uh, and see what Manchester City's standpoint is on that. Bernardo Silva 
has uh, still around 10 days uh, to respond to the FA charge regarding to that tweet uh, about Benjamin Mendy. We've spoken about England. Will they be successful over Bulgaria? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but we're going to take a quick break now on Football Social Daily. Uh, but do stick around because afterwards we've got a quiz for these uh, lovely gentlemen in the studio. Johnny's smiling. Loves a good quiz, don't you, Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, stick around here on Football Social Daily. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. And we'll be back after this. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, the only place for daily Premier League podcasts. Hit subscribe so you never miss another show. And if you've got an Amazon Alexa smart speaker, just ask Alexa to open Sports Social for daily Premier League updates on your team. All 20 Premier League teams are covered, as well as Premier League match previews and match reports too. It's pretty cool. So just ask Alexa to open Sports Social to get involved with that. But now it's time for a quick quiz. Why not? It's international break. Have we not got quiz music? I do have quiz music. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I'll probably add it in afterwards for the uh, dramatic effect I've got more of a choice then as well what sort of genre I don't don't, don't know pick a genre go on 80s 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 synth 80s pop what we going synth synth yeah so three two one <laughs> that's now, we don't even get to enjoy it. That's, in the now, that's now playing in the future. Uh, everyone listening to the podcast will know. Uh, this is a game. I was going to use uh, Fleetwood Mac, the chain, because I've decided to call this game the chain. But I think we probably might get copyright striked for, for using Fleetwood Mac content uh, on the podcast. So I decided against it. So 80s pop, whatever it is we decided, is playing in the background now. Uh, this game's called I the chain because there are uh, a selection of players, uh, 28 in total who have scored 100 or more Premier League goals. You guys need to create a chain between you and make sure you don't make a mistake and see if you can get all 28. Okay, give me me that one more time. What was the criteria, sorry? So the criteria is there are 28 players who have scored 100 Premier League goals or more in their careers. You need to take it in turns going back and forth to create a chain and see if you can name all 28. Getting it right and a big red... X if you get it wrong. So you want to be getting bell after bell after bell to make sure you've got it all right. Uh, No cheating. Is he on his phone already? I'm trying to get a notes app out so I can type um, what uh, Alex says. Okay. I know who said. you've not repeated. I I was going to use the greatest notes app of all, the human mind. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Very poetic. If you get all 28, I will buy you a pint. All right. I don't drink, so I'll just have some water. I'm you driving. Can still have a, pint. <laughs> a, a pint is a vessel. I didn't specify a pint of what. This is this media Wine. training sticking in. <laughs> like you were talking about a pint of coffee. Can't do that. If you manage to pass, we'll go to the next level, which would be tough, which would be minutes played in the Premier League this right. season. Oh. So it's going to be difficult. So we're ready to begin. Okay. I think I started the music too early. So uh, we'll start it again. Here we go. Ready? Right. Okay, we're away. So, Johnny, do you want to start? Players who have scored... 100 or more Premier League goals. You begin the chain. Darren Bent. Well, yeah. Darren Bent, correct. Darren Bent. Where's my ding? Uh, 106 <laughs> Premier I'm getting there. 106 Premier League goals. There you go. Uh, Alan Shearer. You can't take that one off Johnny as a Newcastle uh, fan. You stole uh, it off him. Well, Les Ferdinand. Correct. Uh, Thierry Henry. Correct. I can't type fast enough here. Uh, Emil Heskey. Sergio Aguero. Uh, Jermaine Defoe. Robin Van Persie. Uh, Matt Vettizio. Oh, good knowledge. 100 goals. He is 28th on the list. Is he? He is. Exactly 100. Perfect score. Dennis Burkamp. 
Oh no! He's failed! He's failed! He knew straight away! Oh, no, I know, I as said, soon yeah. as he said it, Dennis Bergkamp, no! You didn't get 100 goals in the end. I felt like I was getting all the obvious ones, so I thought I'd go sort of third on my list. There are so you were many. Do, you, do you want me to carry on on my own? Go on, Johnny, carry on on your own. You go back to your notes uh, up there, Johnny. Sure, turn, it, turn it upside down. Turn it, take his phone off. No, him. no. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yep. Jan Dublin. Yep. Robbie Keane. Hang on, I can't bet. I can't do the bell quick enough. There we go. Robbie Keane. Uh, Peter Crouch. Yeah. Oh wait, hang on a sec. Yeah, I'm right. Thank you. <laughs> 108. <laughs> Harry Kane. Yeah. Romelu Lukaku. Yes. Uh, Dion Dublin. Yes. I've done a petition. You haven't had. Oh, we have had Ian, uh, Dion Dublin. Sorry. Oh, sorry, Johnny, you lose. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Wright. Yeah. Uh, Frank Lampard. Yes. Steven good Gerrard. Good one. Yes. Uh, Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard. Paul Scholes. Correct. Ryan Giggs. Correct. Andy Cole. Yes. Dwight York. Yes. How many have I got left? There's a couple. Uh, Teddy Sheringham. Yes. And... Well, there's there's, there's two more. Uh, you gone? He's gone. Nicholas and Elka. Yes. And... Also Chelsea, easy. Didier Drogba. Yes, well yeah. done. Well done. Good Some knowledge there. Now we know why his skin is so pale. He's never been outside. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, I bet you can do, do the US dates. Oh no. my god. Oh, okay. Well, we're getting out. We're getting out of Premier League territory here. Unless you can name like American Premier League footballers, but I don't have that list. Johnny probably knows it already. Carlos Bocanegra. Claudio <laughs> <laughs> Reyna. Casey Demarcus Keller. Beasley. Brad Guzan. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget Clint Dempsey. And Demarcus Yedlin. Uh, Matt Miazga. DeAndre Yedlin. DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah. Oh my God, there's so many. Um, should we do minutes? Right. Go on then. Right, okay. 720 minutes is the most you could have played in the Premier League this season. There are a lot of players who have played every minute of every game for their club this season. Oh, I'm quite nervous about this one. Um, it's a tough one. I think I'd really struggle with this. I yeah. I'd struggle. So, I feel like I've not been paying enough attention to... Um, a good place to start is goalkeepers. Don't yeah. give that away. Yeah, obviously <laughs> that's the place to start, but I'm thinking outfield players. Is there, is there any Manchester City players on the list? Yeah, your goalkeeper. Other than the goalkeeper? Oh, well, I don't know. That'd be giving it away, would it? I suppose it would, yeah. All right, I'll go uh, Jordan Pitford. Correct. Martin Dubrovka. Correct. Uh, David De Gea. Correct. Matt Ryan. Correct. Um... Come on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to go off goalkeeper. Wow. I'll go uh, Harry Maguire. Correct. Edison. Correct. Oh, Johnny. <laughs> he got Alan Shearer. Chicken. I'm, Chicken. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for Kaglar Soyuncu. Very good. Jamal Lascelles. Welcome to the big leagues. No! Ah! He's done. Jamal In your Lascelles. face, Rain Man. 712. So he's missed eight minutes somewhere in a Premier League game what, this I'm season. I'm watching eight minutes. Go on, right now, you can, you can name all the rest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, goodness me, we would be here for uh, a while. Not a bad quiz. Not a bad quiz. I think you did you think uh, you did yourselves proud there, gents. Are, are there any forwards on there? James Madison, is he on there? Uh, Jamie Vardy's on there, 720. Ashley Westwood's on there. Uh, Ward Prowse is on there. Most of them are goalkeepers. Jack Grealish is on there. Uh, Abamyang actually played every minute of every game. Abamyang bold up for Sheffield United. Ashley Westwood seems to be indispensable to Burnley, and he never ever he scores goals. He pops up. He's a dangerous player. He's never got that inevitable move to Everton that he clearly <laughs> deserves or Watford. 
Well, Everton's uh, the game that I'm going to next Saturday. Everton against West Ham, 12.30 kickoff on Saturday. Of course, we'll be previewing all the games next weekend on the uh, Premier League preview show. And we'll be back here on uh, next Sunday reviewing all the games as well. Obviously, it's the international break at the moment. Manchester City will want to recover from that defeat to Wolves. It's a big period for Man City. Uh, You've got Chelsea and Liverpool in upcoming games. Um, That game against Liverpool... I know we always pinpoint it, but that is the the Arsenal Man United of years gone by. You know, that that's the big game that everyone needs to look forward to these days. Yeah, and it's getting spicier. It feels more like, like a sort of derby every year. There's more to play for. Um coming off the international break, it's never really a break for City because all of our players are off around the world playing for uh their countries and a lot of them are playing in South America and obscure places, which actually I think is a good thing for the team because it's getting to know other cultures, making sure that culture of racism at the club is uh, <laughs> is got rid of. But no, it's um, yeah, we've got we've got a massive month, some really really tough games, um, and even the ones that you think that you know, like we've got Villa at home uh, coming up, which on pen and paper should be a uh, should be a breeze, but as results against Wolves and Norwich show that. That they're not foregone conclusions, and Villa will definitely go to the Etihad and think, mm. you know, actually, you can get at City here, you, you can get a, get a result. So, um, it's a massive month, and it does feel like I hate saying that a lot of City fans are saying, "Oh, the season's over and the title's Liverpool's." When there's 30 games to play, but if we do lose that game against Liverpool, they're 11 points clear. We only play them once more. It's in hard the league. to see a way back from that. It is hard to see a way back, and I think the attitude and the mentality that that game will create will be massive. If we, if we win, we'll be five points behind, but it will show that Liverpool can be beaten and they can be broken down. Yeah. And you'll get this shift that I think that City are back in the title race, whereas at the minute, mm. um, and all credit to Liverpool, they've been absolutely terrific this year and they're getting a lot of stick because they've had a few results where they've not played brilliantly, but they've still got three points. But people are giving them stick for that and saying that they will fall apart. I think very much the opposite. I think... They're playing like champions. What makes a good team great is being able to win when you've not been at your best yeah. and still get those three points. Yeah. And that is, I, I, I always, I've always got something to, to stick into Liverpool for. But this year, it's the best Liverpool team I've ever seen. And they that whole thing that Liverpool will bottle it and throw it away, I don't think this current Liverpool team have that about them. I think they're mentally stronger and mm. they are physically stronger. And I think they are technically uh yeah. Well, they, they're the champions of Europe and they're living up to that title. Manchester City have got Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park, 5.30 kickoff on Saturday. But just before we, we go any further, Manchester United against Liverpool is the is the next game for both of those clubs. That's Sunday, 4.30 kickoff. Manchester United fans, I don't want to say they'll be quaking in their boots because they always seem to turn up a better performance when they play against Liverpool. But if you're a United fan now, Manchester United fan, you'd be worried, wouldn't you? Coming off the back of the international break after what you've seen before, Losing to Newcastle, losing to Matty Longstaff. That Manchester United team that played against Newcastle is the worst Manchester United team I think I've ever seen. Um, I, they, and they have to be to lose to Steve Bruce's um, a Steve Bruce side. There was just nothing there at all. I can't remember them having a single decent effort on goal that, that caused Dubravka any trouble. Um, so they're definitely not going to cause you know Van Dyke, you know Alexander Arnold Robertson any trouble whatsoever um and you know as as you know future Ballon d'Or winner Matty Longstaff as good as he is <laughs> um arguably Liverpool have players up to his level so they they could easily do a <laughs> easily do a job on on Manchester United it's I think Liverpool are currently I'd say favourites for the title and and um yeah eight points clear they should be yeah as much as you know you you 
Uh, I personally wouldn't want to see Liverpool win the title. I think they'd be worthy winning. It's, it's weird talking about this in October. Um, but from what I've seen over the past 18 months to two years, they would definitely be worthy winners. Yeah. And um, nothing, not to take anything away from City, they'd be uh, worthy winners if they were to claw it all back as well. Um, you know, better teams than Liverpool have thrown away bigger leads than and, than they have. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's going to be an interesting match between Manchester United and Liverpool when it comes around. And, and I can't mm. see any winner apart from Liverpool at no, this point. I'd agree. And I, I, I think it comes down to bottle. Manchester City are used to being chased at the top of the pack, at the top of the Premier League. Liverpool aren't used to it. The only Premier League winner in their side is uh, James Milner. And when I say bottle, I'm not trying to get at the fact that people think Liverpool bottled the league last season. No one bottled the league last season. You don't bottle the league by losing by a point and it being that close. Oh, that, I, that's not a bottling. I disagree. I think being there were 10 points clear at one point last season. I, don't I think, think that, bo- that, that is a bottling. I think they, that is the definition of a bottling. They lost one game. Yeah, they can't, but they, they can't, you but, can't bottle if you've lost oh, one game. Oh, mate, you absolutely... I'm sorry, you, hold saying, the phone. You, you yes, think they you bottled can. it? Absolutely. They were, they, were, they were miles ahead. They were as far ahead in front as they are now. They were miles at seven points clear for, for weeks on end. So you think they, they lost, they lost rather City. than Manchester City they lost being City. exceptional? They were still top of the league, but the mentality was so fragile around the players, the staff and the fan base and Anfield as a whole. The mentality was that they were going to lose the title. They bottled it. They were, the, the, the league was won. They were celebrating it in January. They Vincent, were celebrating Vincent the title. Vincent Company screamer against Leicester. They were celebrating the title. They had the, the, the trophy parade planned. Half of football Twitter had their, their tweet ready. Everyone knew that Liverpool had won the league in January. And yet, lo and behold, no Premier League trophy. That, my friend. And by a point. All the, so many draws. So many teams. Leicester at home when they battered Leicester and it finished one all. That was because they knew. They knew... They were, that is a bottling. That is a bottling. <laughs> if it wasn't for Vincent Company's hit Everyone and hope, knew. absolute Everyone lash. Knew that... Vincent Company shot another hundred times that's going out the Etihad. Absolutely. Absolutely. Makes it even sweeter. <laughs> Maybe for you. Let's talk about Spurs just finally before we end the show. Brutal defeat to Brighton. 3-0 last time out. Um, they return at home against Watford, who haven't won a game yet this Premier League season. And they look like they are really struggling. So for Spurs... For a game back after the international break, you couldn't really have picked a better opposition than Watford. No, not at all. And um, Spurs will come good again. I think they do. They do just need a bit more, a few more players. I think. And I know it sounds daft, and they they spent quite a lot of money the um, the summer just gone. But Harry Kane can't do everything by himself, and he needs a rest. And yep. you know, Son is a decent option to go through the middle, but he's not his very best there. Um, and they just don't have anyone behind. They've got Troy Parrott, who's apparently the next big thing out of their academy, um, but he's not going to be ready to lead the line of a team that want to play Champions League football yet, I don't think. Um, so they just need need a few more options. I think they need to get rid of the ones that don't want to be there. I think Christian Eriksen looks like he doesn't want to be there anymore, and he probably won't be there by the end of January. I wouldn't think if, if Real Madrid you know, do come knocking, I think you know, Spurs will be resigned to letting him go for some sort of fee rather than letting him lose him on a free um, at the end of the season and um, recoup that money and, you know, reinvest it into, into somewhere else in the squad. Um, probably right back, Serge Aurier is not the best. Um, so, yeah, Spurs Spurs will be all right. Um, they should beat Watford. Um, and hopefully, you know, for them, that will be the catalyst for them for a few more wins going forward. OK, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, this would be called the, the Premier League Review Show normally. I don't know what what the working title would be right now at this moment in time. England versus Bulgaria preview daily. 
<laughs> Let's do it every week. Yeah. <laughs> the 100 Premier League goals quiz. There we go. <laughs> yeah, there we go. The uh, cheese and pineapple review. Pickled onions or not. Yes yeah. or no. That's what we're going with. Let us know on Twitter. We'll put it up <laughs> to a poll. Thanks very much, Johnny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Alex, uh, I've been Nile. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Don't forget, you can get a podcast every single day if you subscribe to the show. Uh, so just hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll never miss another episode of Football Social Daily. Also, Ask Alexa to open Sports Social if you do have an Amazon Alexa smart speaker. Delve into our little skill there we've got going on. News updates, daily news updates on all 20 Premier League clubs so you stay right up to date with what's going on uh, at your football club as well as Premier League match reports and match previews. But that's it for now. We'll speak to you next time. I think Emmanuel Adebayor is the highest scorer not to score 100 goals. Go home. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.